Last week, we, uh, we challenged you guys to uh, read through the Gospel of John, highlighting, taking note of God's steadfast love for us so that we could live out, uh, out of his steadfast uh, nature. Uh, how, did that, how did that go? What did you, what did you learn? Uh, this week, one of the things that I was wrestling with when I was thinking about the character of God in this series that we kind of have as, uh, as like living a successful Christian life and whatnot uh, was that when we all cross that finish line and we're looking at Jesus, we're, we're standing there, we're face to face with God Almighty, we don't dream of hearing, well done, good and successful servant. That's not the dream. The dream is to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And, and that concept is what's going to dominate our time together. The verse that, we, that has kind of set the blueprint for this whole series is, uh, let not steadfast love uh, and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find good favor uh, and good success in the sight of God and man. Uh, one of the definitions that we said that we're kind of like leaning into for this whole series is this, uh, on success. Biblical success is when God's heart and God's ways become my heart and my way. We sang of God's faithfulness. What would it look to live like God has shown us faithfulness? <laughs> Uh, so let's pray, and then let's dig into this, uh, this text. God, I thank you for this time. Father, as we, as we look at this, um, Father, I pray that we would be overwhelmed by your faithfulness. Father, I pray that we would, uh, Father, exude gratefulness that would help empower us to live faithful. Um, Father, I thank you, Lord, that, um, Father, as there have been moments for all of us, that we have been unfaithful. Every single human has that. Father, I thank you that we are not the sum of all of our unfaithful moments, but Father, that in you, we get to be the sum of your righteousness. Father, that your righteousness defines us and not our past. Um, Father, we thank you. We give this all to you in your name. Amen. Uh, I, uh, I turned, in, turned the new year and uh, just kind of turned a page on being uh, super uh, motivated. Uh, and so I've been waking up early. Ava and I are, are usually uh, in our, I guess, our den, uh, drinking coffee together, listening to a worship uh, playlist on Spotify. We're usually doing that by about 4.30 in the morning, uh, which sounds super cool and everything until you realize that I go to bed at 8 o'clock. I make it my goal to go to bed before my kids. Uh, and so it's really not that cool. Uh, and, so, uh, and so we wake up early, and we're, I'm in the middle of the new year of what, like it's maybe January 5th, and we've kind of had five days of this habit. Ava and I have commented to each other how much we just enjoy the time together, the peace, the, the in God's word, and then praying together, kind of doing our thing that kind of takes us to about 6, 6.15 or so. And, uh, and then like this thing happened where my kids go back to school, which is a great thing. Uh, and, uh, but Landon, who is like the easiest of the kids, uh, he sets his own alarm uh, and he's like 11. Uh, he sets his own alarm and he doesn't have to wake up till about 6.15, but he likes to set it at 5.30. Uh, and then he, get, he comes downstairs and he lays on the couch and he kind of just lays there. And in my mind, I'm like, why on earth would you wake up earlier than you have to? Uh, and, and, and when he lays there, he, he periodically will ask a question like, hey, can you tell me when it's six o'clock? Can you do this? Like harmless little questions. And that first morning he did it, I found myself insanely annoyed. <laughs> I was sitting there and I was like, man, there's been such a peaceful habit between Ava and I, my time with God. 
and my kid is waking up early and destroying my time. I was annoyed, and until my spiritual lens, I kind of got hold of me. I was like, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, he knows the goals that we have. Uh, he knows how, how mom and dad are trying to live out this goal before them. Uh, what I want for my kid to see is that well done is better than well said. I, I want him to see when he gets older, I want him to see and not talk about the good life that he had, but the faithful life that his family lived out. We're not forcing him to wake up early and see our habits, but why not embrace that he's doing it naturally and that he gets to see mom and dad living out God willing a faithful life. God willing that he'll grow up and see that this wasn't, this wasn't a dull life, but that this was a full life. Living before Jesus, being obsessed with Jesus, being obsessed with God's glory. What do you want? What do you want your kids to see? What do you want the people that you have influence over? What do you want them to see? What would it look like for us individually and collectively to be obsessed with the faithfulness of God, to be obsessed with the glory of God, to look like, hey, you know what? There's two decisions before me. Hmm, both are one's bad and one's good. Okay, maybe that's obvious. But you know in the, in the world that we live in, oftentimes there's two good things before us. What would it look like to say, hey, two good things before me. What will bring God the most glory? I'm going to do that thing. Today we're going to look at a dude named Daniel. He's living in a country called Babylon. Uh, if you want to think of Babylon as, as one thing, it's, it's, it's opposed to the Christian faith. The, nothing about Babylon would say, hey, you go be Christian and we're going to support you all the way. It is not someplace that you would think a thriving relationship with God would come out of, but that's where, that's where Daniel is. He's in Babylon and uh, he's about 80 years old. He should be retired, uh, but, but he's not. Here's how the story unfolds in Daniel chapter 6. It says this, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, uh, uh, wise men of the day, uh, because of an, uh, of an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So here, the context is that there's about 120 or so wise people coming before the king. They all have this in common. Uh, they're, they're all wise in their own right, and they're subject to the authority of the king. But Daniel is a cut above the rest. <laughs> Daniel, is, 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 he's a standout. In the context, you would know that he's, he, again, we just read it, he has this extraordinary spirit. You would see that he's intelligent. You, you would see that he's informed, that he, he is somebody that is faithful. He has a reputation that is super awesome and good. And so the king looks at, hey, I have all these people. I, I'm going to have somebody that is going to help me rule the kingdom. And Daniel is going to be that guy. So very successful in that right. And you would think that everybody around him is saying, that a boy, Daniel. No. Success brings enemies. And so here's what happens. It says, then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel. And with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was what? Faithful. And there was no error or fault that was found in him. Jealousy is a slippery slope to hatred. Uh, this is there. They're looking for a way to crush 
crush Daniel, to crush his character, but his character is so good and above that they can't find any corruption in him. They, they can't find that he's been negligent. All they can find is that he's been trustworthy and good. Like behind the scenes, if Daniel knew what was going on in this moment, isn't that a compliment? To, to have people that want to crush you examine your life and say, man, his character makes it really hard to crush him. What a compliment to Daniel, if only he knew it in this moment. And so the, what do you do when you find no fault in somebody? Here's what they do. Well, we shall, find any, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Again, what a testimony of Daniel, isn't it? That, you know what, hey, we're looking at Daniel, and you know what, here's what, here's what we know. If it's between the law of God and, and the law of man, that we just know his characters, that he will always pick the law of God, that we can count on the man of God to obey his God. That's what we can count on. And so for Daniel, if it's the law of the land or the law of God, well, then let's set a trap and create this law of the land. And so they go before the king, blowing all sorts of smoke up his butt <laughs> and saying, you know what, king, you're so awesome. For 30, for 30 days, just all the petitions in the land, everything has to come before you. No other man, no other gods. It all has to funnel through you. And the king's like, for me, that sounds exhausting. Uh, but for the king, he's like, okay, great. Oh, and king, by the way, the penalty if anybody petitions anybody else but you, they get thrown into the lion's den. Cancel culture is coming to Daniel because they know they're going to do whatever they can to shut him up. And so the king on this power trip, this ego, whatever it might be after that he got smoke blown up his butt is like, good, this is groovy, this is good, done, deal. Where Daniel should be retiring, he's in the midst of political games. Uh, last week, I think it was last week, I'm pretty sure it was last week, it all runs together. Uh, I think it was last week, we had a uh, retirement party uh, for Wheels, COVID style, uh, so there was like 10 of us. Uh, and so, uh, if, you know, if you know Wheels and Sue, uh, great people, if you know Wheels' uh, history, uh, you would know that probably 20 years ago, uh, 30 years ago, when Wheels was envisioning uh, retirement, it probably was a party that was more like boozing and cruising uh, than it was uh, a bunch of elders and leaders getting together to pray. Uh, uh, but Wheels fell in love with Jesus, and it transformed really the whole family. And, uh, and so Wheels and Sue uh, uh, are examples of faithful living, and uh, and we got him, uh, we got him like each of them, a, uh, a walking stick, not like they're old, but a walking stick for hiking because uh, they're going on an RV trip uh, around the nation for the next nine months. What a life. Uh, and uh, and so, uh, so that was one gift. But the, one of the main gifts that uh, we as elders got for wheels, because he's, he's been an elder here, uh, we got him a Yeti mug um, that had the Wellspring logo on it and uh, the inscription of uh, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, yeah, it sounds great, uh, but then shipping is that he didn't get it in time uh, to go uh, on his trip. So when he gets back, he'll have that mug. Uh, that's fun. And, uh, and so, uh, but if there was somebody uh, that I could think of that, man, like a faith, faithful living, 
Somebody that if I knew I, I, I needed to kind of play them and, and do them dirty and get them to trip up and sort of set a, a trap for them that would ha- I would have to play their faith in order to set some sort of a trap for them like was happening with Daniel. Wheels to me is the epitome of that. Is wheels perfect? By no stretch of the imagination. But as the Bible talks about, is he above reproach? Absolutely. He's somebody that's willing to admit his fault and walk forward to be more like Jesus. As you think about a faithful uh, reputation, could someone play your faith for their personal gain? If you're rising to power, would people have to play political games like these dirt bags? Or with enough digging, could they easily take you out? You want to promote who? Let me show you what they texted about you last week. (laughs) You, You want to give this promotion to who? Well, let me show you a little bit about what they do behind the scenes that might be a black eye for the organization. What type of reputation do we have before our fellow man? Here's what happens with Daniel. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, chamber open towards Jerusalem, he got on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thought, uh, thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel, what does it say? He knows it got signed. He knows the law of the land. And so he's like, I'm just going to keep on keeping on. <laughs> I'm going to do what I've always done unfazed, wastes no time to obey his God. He doesn't ask, what will this cost me? The faithless are concerned, overly concerned with what this will cost me. The faithful have said, I've counted the cost. And obeying my God wins every single day, every single moment. So he just does what he's always done. This isn't a public defiance. He's not grandstanding, yet he's also not hiding. He's simply honoring his God. He doesn't say, you know what? Well, I'll just take a month off. I'll wait out the 30 days. Then I'll go back to being faithful. I'll do this in a private room. No, he goes and he does exactly what he has always done. Daniel is faithful to the king as long as the earthly king doesn't interfere with him being faithful to his heavenly king because his heavenly king is the priority. And these scumbags, these sleazeballs, they know right where to look, when to look. They knew his habits. Daniel was keeping on, keeping on. He was ve- his faithfulness made him very predictable. And so they go and they look and they find him and they go and tattle to the king, reminding him of what he has said and what Daniel was doing. The king hears of this and, and he says, then the king, when he heard these words, it was much distressed and he set his mind to deliver Daniel and he labored till the sun went down to rescue Daniel. He, he's all besides himself. He's in agony. And he knows that, man, now a trap has been set for him. He's going all night trying to find a way to get out of this, but these sleazeballs, they come back. <laughs> reminding him, hey, king, you've set up your throne, this new king establishing your power, even you are held to what you have said. When you say it's law, even you are accountable to the law. Your absolute power cannot get Daniel, quote unquote, out of trouble. So even though he knows he's been trapped, he's trapped. They win. They were right. And so he doesn't beat around the bush. He wastes no time and he sends Daniel to the lion's den. 
But he says this to, the, to Daniel on his way out. And the king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. The king looks to Daniel and says, in essence, I hope your prayers work. <laughs> I want them to work. Daniel, now you and I together are looking to God Almighty to be the fix and the deliverer in this situation. Daniel, he's really seemingly to be uh, not concerned. <laughs> he's seemingly unfazed. He's just keeping on, keeping on. He's simply obedient. He's simply faithful. And, and so like, it's, they're so scared of Daniel, this 80-year-old man. <laughs> he's thrown into the lions. And says, Make sure you put a rock over it because so, you know what? We don't want Daniel beating up the lions and crawling and getting his way out. So we're going to put a rock over it after this he-man Daniel is going to get himself out of this mess. They make sure that, the, that there is no earthly hope for Daniel. And so we pause and we ask, who's unfazed and who's phased in this story? Daniel's probably sleeping just fine in the lion's den. It's the king agonizing all night, fasting, seemingly praying, walking around. How am I going to get out of this? Is Daniel going to be okay? It's the other people that seem to be phased by the situation. But for Daniel, being untrue to his God was never an option. He's fine with how this has played out. You're going to try to force me to confirm? To heck with you. I'm going to do me because I know what's right. <laughs> There's this test that was done uh, a little bit ago. I think it was by a psychiatrist, uh, psychiatry uh, named like Arch or something like that. Uh, but the test was, was this. He wanted to see if uh, the influence that people can have over another. Uh, and so he, he created this test that had to be super easy. That like the answer was super obvious. And so it's called the line test if you're, if you're familiar uh, with it. Uh, and so the test is such where it's like, okay, he, he has the, the comparable group uh, where he, he gives them this test and says, okay, this line, which one of these lines is the same size? Uh, and so he makes the answer super obvious. Uh, and, and so he, he, when he gives it to the comparable, 99% of the people get it right. Uh, but then he wants to see, okay, now, now, somebody in kind of their, in their private one-on-one, like they just answer the question, they're confident. I know uh, the answer is C. Like uh, it, it, it is, like I'm confident with this. And so now he brings in other people. And now there's a group of eight, but the person that they're testing is the very last person. And so all other seven know what's going on. And one by one, they answer with their rationale, all uh, what they think is the answer, but they all answer incorrectly. And what he found was that 99% accuracy, but you add in seven people that give the wrong answer, and 75% of the people can get it wrong. So one-on-one, I'm good. One-on-one, I can get the right answer. The second I start hearing other opinions, other thoughts, other rationale, 75% effectiveness to answer the wrong question, to get somebody to confirm. And you think our enemy don't know how to get us to confirm with, conform with all of these noises that we hear? What would it look like to go and say, I'm predetermined that this is the right answer, and then when we hear voices, doesn't change a thing. I know, I'm predetermined what the right thing is to do. I will not confirm, conform. When a, what decision have you already made based off of your current faithful walk 
with Jesus. You know in the quietness of this space, whether you're watching online or you're in this room, that there are certain things that a faithful Christian would do that right now you're determined to do that, not to be like the the faithless person that ponders, well, what should I do when you already know what should do? When he says, come to bed with me to show me you love me, you're predetermined to honor your God above anybody else. When your boss says, fudge the numbers to land the deal, you're predetermined right now in this moment to walk faithfully. When when your best friend says, hey, I'm about to fail this class, I need the answers, you're predetermined saying, you flunked yourself, I'm going to honor my God. When a large chunk of money comes your way, are you predetermined how you're going to be generous? Are you willing to get canceled for Jesus? Because when it comes time to picking what culture says and the voices we hear or picking Jesus, we pick Jesus all day long. Here's what happens to the, to the king and to Daniel. It says, uh, as they came near to the den when Daniel, where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually, was he able to deliver you from the lions. And then Daniel speaks, because he's alive. <laughs> oh, king, live forever. My God sent an angel. He shut the lions' mouths. And they, and they are not, they have not harmed me. Because why? Because I have found, I have been found blameless before him and also before you, oh, king. I have been done no harm. This is the only time that Daniel speaks in Daniel chapter 6. These are the only words that he mentions. Up until this point, it's been Daniel's faithful living, doing all the speaking. And when it comes time for this faithful man to speak, he directs all glory, all focus to God Almighty. And so the king orders for him to be pulled out. And when when he's pulled out, They find, yes, no harm has been done to him. And they even say in the text that it is because that he trusted his God. And then all of the sleazeballs are thrown with their families into the lion's den. And since they had to stare at Daniel all night long, not able to eat him, they all die before they even hit the ground. Didn't work out too well for them. Here's what happens to the image of God through this story. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth. It's gone public. Now God is going viral. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that all in all of my royal dominion, dominion, people are to tremble and fear before God and Daniel, uh, for he is the living God. Enduring forever, his kingdom shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers, he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions? So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Awe, wonder, God's glory, magnified, declared throughout the land. Darius is basically stating what he has learned of God through this situation. He's impacted by the delivering of faithful nature of Daniel's king. And so he makes this proclamation that really serves two purposes. First, it recognizes the greatness 
and the superiority of God Almighty over everything else that Israel's God will have no rival. And then secondly and simply, it cancels out this previous stupid thing that, that he was convinced to do. Daniel's testimony, his faithful living, sure had an impact. Hey, nation, fear the lions? No. Fear the God of awe and wonder. Recently, I've had to have that, uh, that birds and the bees type of talk uh, with uh, some of my kids, and uh, that's never fun. Uh, and so, uh, but they're going to hear about it one way or the other, so it might as well be for me. And uh, as, as I think about this, uh, it's like one of those moments where as a parent, you're like, okay, you can say anything you want. Um, and they're like, really, anything? Uh, and I'm like, okay, anything you've heard, we can talk about it. And they just start rattling off things that would make you blush that they've heard and, uh, and things of that nature. And uh, as, as, as we kind of have a talk like that, uh, there's ways in which as a parent, I can, fear, I can, I can instill fear upon them. Uh, to get them to obey their, their God and obey uh, what, is, what is before them. Uh, smoking, let me show you a picture of a black lung. <laughs> Drinking, uh, let me show you a picture of, of, a, of a drunk driver. Drugs, the age, remember that thing? This is your brain on drugs. Let me show you one of those commercials from back of the day. Sex, let me tell you about pregnancy and, and, and how much work a, a kid might be. Or so I, I, can, I can come before them and try to instill fear upon them, to have fear guide them. Or I can help them live for the glory of God. <laughs> Smoking? God says that your body is a temple. Why would you want to ruin that? Drinking drugs? Obey the law of the land. Be in control of, of yourself. Sex? And God says honor the marriage bed. And so when these things come before you and, and the culture says a whole bunch of competing voices to what your God says, what would it look like to fear disappointing your God, with a desire to live for his glory. Fear is a word thrown out there in culture and so, so much right now. We, we hear fear, 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 or elements of fear. For us as a Christian, we have a different perspective of fear. fear perfect love casts out fear. At the cross, when it comes to eternity, we have nothing to fear because my God said it is finished and we believe it. And so for you and I, yes, the unbelieving word world, they should fear a holy and just God. But for you and I that have reckoned ourselves through Jesus with a holy and just God, our fear turns into how can I honor this God? How can I live reverently before him? And as we grow in our walk with Jesus, we want to put God's glory on full send, that the world may know the glory of God. Our big thought for this experience as we read through Daniel chapter 6 is this. The faithful life is a story of God's glory. The faithful, I'm sorry, the faithful live a story of God's glory. What would it look like when it all comes to an end? To have all of our moments be put together and say, this was a faithful person. Christian character is not forged in the moment of adversity. But the moment of adversity proves the character that has always been. I got to see that firsthand this past, uh, about a week and a half ago. My buddy uh, Lenny Schmidt 
Uh, I mentioned uh, on the sermon that we preached uh, online uh, because of uh, Christmas Day and whatnot. Uh, and so in that sermon, I had mentioned that he was, uh, looked like he was in his final days, uh, and he was. Uh, Lenny passed away on Christmas Day uh, this, this past year. And Lenny is just somebody that had a, a huge impact uh, on, on my life. Uh, it was uh, about a month after my niece passed uh, last February uh, that Lenny was able to talk to me about loss and, and how to move forward. And it just really stood out to me that he ended that conversation with literally a blank check saying, uh, bless, your, bless your brother. And, uh, and so it was just very impactful. Uh, Lenny, uh, it wouldn't be a surprise that he, he was a top giver at our church. He, he was somebody that gave over and above. And, uh, and so when I went to visit him and the family, I, I, because of that, like, I kind of was like, well, am I going to see like this really big house? <laughs> am I going to see like these really nice cars? Like I kind of expected to like roll up to his house to visit him in his final days that, you know, here is his, his, his really nice car being waxed by Biff, you know, or something. And, uh, and, and, and what I saw was the exact opposite. <laughs> Lenny had scars, uh, not cars. <laughs> Uh, Lenny, uh, Lenny, Lenny was somebody that uh, didn't have a mansion, but was motivated by the mansion to come. He was somebody that was willing to say, God, if you don't heal me in this life, I'm thankful for eternal healing. He was somebody that when I walked into his house, his faithful living, his faithful life was such where I saw him surrounded by family positioned in his hospital uh, chair that was uh, his hospital bed that was in his house, looking at his TV, and right above his TV was, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I saw that firsthand in his life. His life wasn't defined by things. His life showed fruit of being defined by faithful living. When it all comes to an end, will your life be a story of God's glory? Or will you let circumstances dictate how you move forward? What would it look like to be obsessed with God's glory over another? And you know, and I know, that in this world, it is hard to live this way. Nothing's helping us. And that's why God gave us his spirit to help us. My challenge to you, starting uh, January 27th, uh, it's a Thursday evening, five weeks uh, we're going to do a study here. Uh, the Pinkavas are going to be leading that study. And uh, it's just five weeks to really examine how can we thrive in a Babylon-like society. I want to be faithful, but this world is not helping me be faithful. Well, God has given us his word and his spirit to help us thrive in the midst of a world that doesn't want us to thrive and an enemy that wants to squash us. And so I challenge you uh, to, to take this, this study uh, five weeks, uh, starting January 27th on a Thursday evening. Uh, give it five weeks and, and just do that study with other believers, other people that, that want to be faithful as you want to be faithful, and, and together uh, learn to live that faithful life in the midst of, of a broken, chaotic world. Let me pray, and then would you guys stand and let us sing just one more song. God, um, Father, as we go into this last song and, and thinking through courage, thinking through um, strength and desire to, to live for you. Um, Father, I pray that you would use this moment in this, this vocal worship, um, Father, to empower and to encourage us. Um, we love you, Jesus. We give you our, our time, and we also give you a, our lives, hoping to be found faithful when it all comes to an end. In your name, Jesus, amen.